2: AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled.
3: visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
0: Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. This is part two of a special two-part series on weird courtship rituals throughout, you know, human history. We're not getting to all of them, but we found some weird ones. That's the one and only Max Williams. Uh, They call me Ben. Noel, uh, how how are you
1: doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm feeling really good about this premeditated two-parter peek behind the curtain. Uh, usually uh, we end up just kind of like making them two parters because we'd like to get an extra episode out of it or it runs a little <laughs> long. But, you know, this is special not only because of the premeditated nature of it, but because Ooh. we are joined by our friends, Diane and Eli, once again, to talk about more ridiculous, weird, bizarro courtships from across the world. Thanks for coming, guys.
3: Oh, thanks for having us oh again. Gosh,
4: so much fun.
1: Yeah. Now in our
0: in our previous episode uh we dove pretty deep into some oh, some literally puritanical dating practices uh we also traveled to Mauritania where we looked at an ancient ongoing tremendously controversial pre-marriage practice uh, a very a sp- very specific kind of terrible summer camp and today we're going to Two completely different locations in the world. Uh, I, I've got to ask, though, before we begin, did you guys find this episode that we recorded uh, earlier, did you find it staying with you over the weekend? Like, Diana, were you trying to find like a cording tube to talk to Eli or anything like that?
4: I, no, I guess I wasn't. I wasn't trying to find a tube or anything. I did Practice consider putting an apple preached, in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, scream across the house, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah we, yeah, we
3: wouldn't have a tube long enough to reach between the rooms when we're
1: working. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I, uh, I have to say, I did uh, discuss bundling with my, my girlfriend, not like yeah. that we should do uh, yeah. it or anything. But, you <laughs> know, it, just, it was a good conversation, and uh, mm-hmm. she didn't know about it. And so I hope that uh, that episode armed all you ridiculous historians out there with some good conversation for your significant <laughs> others or you know to look smart at parties because that's what we're here for
4: yeah <laughs> totally
1: well grab your thimbles uh and shear st- off the bottoms of them <laughs> yes yep.
2: and, and, <laughs> and strap in for
0: part two uh what are we talking about it's funny because off air we were we were uh talking with each other before we started rolling and our conversation was you know some podcasts just seem to constantly allude to stuff they did or stuff they were talking about that's not on air. Uh, we decided we're not gonna be those folks uh today, at least. If you want to hear in detail what we're talking about uh just a few minutes ago, then tune into part one of Weird Courtship Rituals. This episode will still make sense, but it's it's you know, it's more rewarding if you get the whole like narrative mm. arc that we worked mm. on. Uh so
4: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: so we'll pause for the magic of podcasting to uh give everybody a chance to get caught up There great fantastic so you've listened to part 1 uh we're ready for part 2 where do we go first let's say um Ah, I never get the chance to talk about this country on air. Can we go to Bhutan?
3: Oh, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Let's please talk about Bhutan. Today, (laughs) I wanted to talk about a practice in Bhutan called bomina. Uh, It's also known more colloquially as night hunting. And this is something that's mostly fallen out of practice in Bhutan, but it still exists in rural areas. Uh, It's a very old tradition. Bomina literally means going towards a girl. And uh, that sounds sweet, right? Uh, Well, I
4: don't know. It depends on how you're going towards the girl. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) What energy are you bringing in your approach? It sounds more (laughs) like you're
3: coming at her, like perhaps brandishing some sort of weapon. Yeah, are you running?
4: (laughs) Are you strolling? I need more information.
3: (laughs) Well, it's worse than any of that because (laughs) the practice is that in theory, any man can, after nightfall, climb the house of the walls of a girl, jimmy open her window, climb into into her room, slip into her bed, and sleep with her that night. Pretty exciting stuff. Uh, Sounds pretty horrific. And um, in truth, uh, this is a very old practice. Bhutan is a matriarchal society. Uh, For example, the daughters inherit property uh, from their parents. But... A lot of rural folks, especially, and older folks, like, really believe in this tradition. A lot of people say their grandparents met this way, and it's very sweet, and they love it. Uh, Originally, it was meant to give the women actually more control because they decide when the boy shows up at the house whether or not he's allowed into the bed or not.
4: Sure, but he could just knock on the door and I could be like, oh, no, thank you, and close the door. Why do you have to climb in at the dead of night and break and enter into my house like a weird burglar? Yeah, (laughs) well,
3: exactly. And this has been kind of the problem with it, especially recently. A woman, uh, Sonam Wangdi, from the Trunksa village, married a man that she met through Bomina, and she said, "'Before marriage, I had lost count of the men who visited me. "'It's not about forcing. "'The tradition gives freedom to the women to choose, but there are some men who force themselves.'" It is for the exploitation Mm. of innocent women that the custom has lost its beauty. So, surprise, this didn't go very well forever.
4: You gave him an inch, and they took a mile.
3: Oh, I know.
1: It just seems like it's asking for trouble. It sounds like something out of, like, a Chaucer story. Like, I feel like mm. there is <laughs> that is a thing from the Canterbury Tales. Like, you know, I think mean, it was more of, like, a cuckolding husband situation oh. or cuckolding. Oh, yeah. The, uh, I, the line in Chaucer, I think,
0: is— I can't remember if it's the Miller's Tale. It's one of the ones that I actually finished. But there's this scene in Chaucer where uh, there's this guy who just won't take no for an answer. He's trying to get this girl to lean out of the window. And uh, kiss kiss him, and it's really dark. And she does put something out the window, and he does kiss it, but it's, it's
1: not her front end. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. That's wow. right. It's all coming back to me now. So, okay. You say the beauty has gone out of it? I'm sorry. I don't Yeah. I don't, yeah. See, uh, I don't, I don't quite understand where <laughs> the, the good old ever days are breaking and entering.
0: What happened? This <laughs> right? you
1: know?
4: used to be so gorgeous.
1: I mean there has to be more to this. Like I mean you say yeah. it gives it gives the the young woman uh more agency but at the same time like you know dudes
3: be aggressive uh, right? If they're exactly. coming in the okay, window. So yeah. Traditionally this is in like small towns everybody kind of knows each other and what really is happening is generally speaking the boy and the girl would have met up beforehand at social events they've seen each okay. other and Typically, this was agreed upon, but not always. Sometimes they just show up. In either case, the guy has to be super quiet because most of these families all sleep in the same room. And so if she decides to make any noise, dad wakes up and Mm -hmm. they are just as protective as fathers anywhere. And they will literally throw this guy out the window. Some have been chased away with scalding hot water. Um, So it really doesn't go well for anyone. Um, Yeah, right?
5: (laughs)
4: It kind of reminds me of bundling a little bit, like mm-hmm. where they, they took, they got permission beforehand. They sleep in the same bed. All the parents are around. Right. <laughs> you got to be real quiet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you still have to be quiet. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Yeah. They're carving out these, um, car- carving out these areas of social plausible deniability, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. Uh, mm-hmm. well, uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to jump ahead too far, but what's the birth control situation? It is uh, bad. Okay. <laughs> oh, um, <no. laughs> and that is
3: one of the major problems here is unplanned pregnancies and not knowing who the fathers are. Again, in smaller villages, they say usually you know who the father is because, there, you know, 50 people live here. We know who's with who and we can figure it out pretty easily. And there are DNA tests, but uh, especially even in some of the rural areas and in cities, they're saying it's, expensive for these DNA paternity tests to come through. And Mm. often, here's the kicker, here's what's really made it, taken the beauty out of it, as (laughs) they say, uh, is that in these small towns even, where everyone's pretty comfortable with the tradition, you have people coming in from out of town and taking advantage of this practice. And they're like, if the father ends up being someone who's an expatriate or sometimes even a monk, they say that the courts can't do anything for paternity, and the woman's left on her own. Also, without knowing who the father is, it's very difficult to get the child registered on their census. Sometimes it takes up to six or eight years, and the children can't even start schooling until they know who the father is. Wait, so, so
0: no government services up to and including like the public school system?
3: Yeah, they have to be registered through the census first. And that, for that, you need paternity. Wow. Uh, it, and, or a very lengthy process without it. So wait, so when you say eight years to
1: get registered with the census, that means you no know school until right, eight? right, eight at all? Right. I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, ah, who needs kindergarten? You know, who needs <laughs>
0: <school>?
4: <laughs>
1: you know, as a guy who had to
0: repeat kindergarten, you don't learn that much. Life can all go right. on without it, but <laughs> I think ABCs, it's mainly...
4: one, two, threes. <laughs>
0: I You'll think it's it. mainly... Socialization, but we know also that Bhutan has, in terms of who they consider citizens in general, it gets kind of tricky, right? I believe there's a Nepalese descended population there that is still struggling for the same rights as uh, people the kingdom considers mm-hmm. native Bhutanese. Is that correct? Yeah.
3: So there was this huge movement uh, about this online in social media in around 2012. It kind of came up, and they organized uh, like an NGO, a nonprofit, to start helping the women and start bringing attention to this practice. And there was a journalist who wrote; uh, her name is Robin Darbawa, and she had written into the email address that they provided, and the government answered them and said. The two girls who used this email have surrendered it to the government. They have been educated, and now they are not going to talk about anything like this, which actually does not happen in Bhutan anymore.
4: Oh, that is okay. dark. So
3: was getting a real cover-up, and they say that's because the government just isn't really able to track it very well, so they don't Ooh. really admit to it very much. Defenders of the practice say, well, urban people in Bhutan and people who don't live in Bhutan are criticizing rural areas and othering them for this practice and saying they're less civilized and that they're blaming um, unwanted pregnancies and venereal diseases on this practice as if they don't have those problems in the cities. Mm -hmm. But they do. And they say, you know, getting rid of Bomina would not magically erase all those problems because you all have them, too. So that's been kind of the cultural argument between Defenders and, uh, and people who think this is absolutely insane. <laughs> you can just break into a woman's house at night.
0: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber
1: Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen
0: can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football. Game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in, and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. And don't delay, today you can get 40% off. That's up to
0: $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select
1: markets. See
5: App for details.
1: Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See App for details.
5: Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dallas Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living
0: Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the
1: status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know who also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? Well, I think you know. It's hmm. Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's.
0: They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant.
1: Yeah, I was about to it's say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self care products um, richly lathering, skin softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Only, well, you know, you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's
0: harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set.
1: So this is something that's done with the consent and understanding of the parents? Like, this is a conversation that happens?
3: It doesn't necessarily happen with the parents. Often it happens with the boy and girl beforehand. And you literally have to go in and sneak your way in. What they said is, again, in smaller villages where they sort of know who's coming in and who isn't, the parents will sometimes lie awake knowing that the boy is broken in if they think he's a good suitor for marriage. Because also... If you are seen in the bed in the morning, the boys will often sneak out. But if they're seen there when they wake up, they're pretty much married. Don't that sleep oh, in. pretty much yeah. locks it in. Yeah. No oh. one's sleeping. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
4: Okay. You can come over, but you can't stay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, that's so that's uh, it seems like there's some again, some traditional constraints. But these uh, this practice itself, in addition to being, you know, a hot-button issue and quite controversial, uh, it seems like this practice is undergoing some cultural pressures because uh, this sounds like it's still more often than not going to happen in rural areas instead of, like, the capital, Thimphu. Um, but there are tourists in Bhutan now. Uh, th- not a ton, but I imagine they breeze through the more rural, you know, eastern areas of the country. How do they interact with this? Is this a Bhutanese-only kind of operation?
3: I think the Bhutanese would love that, but it's <laughs> not necessarily. They say that, you know, again, tourists from out of the country or, or even from other towns sometimes or other cities will take up the practice on their own and try to go sneak into a girl's room at night. And uh, if they're aware of it, they, they take advantage of it. And this is one of the things that has led to the most problems with the whole, with the whole culture you know, other people taking advantage of it, again, unwanted pregnancies and not knowing who the father is because these guys slip in and out from out of town. Sometimes boys are even quoted, you know, they, they talked to a man who was married through this practice. Uh, he and his wife both supported it because it worked out great for them. And in that same conversation, he says, well, you know, and before I met my wife, of course, you know, you got to have a little trial and error first. And sometimes my friends and I would just go over to the next town to have some fun. So, you know, mm. literally going somewhere where no one's going to know who they are so they can sneak away again without any consequences of their own. Yikes.
0: I, I guess it would be, it would feel, it would feel less problematic if there were more interviews or, or more statements from people saying, yeah, some guy might show up at my house, but if I don't like him, I just, I do tell him to go away and he does right. go away. Mm-hmm. Did you find any
3: of those? <laughs> um, yes. So, I mean, some of the women, especially, again, Usually it was women maybe 40 or older or mm-hmm. even older than that is when it was more kind of standard and practiced regularly uh, who really defend it and said, yeah, I, I kicked out guys I fa- until I found the man I loved uh, and had no trouble with it. But often those arguments were pretty dismissive of the women who definitely did have trouble with it mm-hmm. uh, in of the bad experiences. You know, they kind of took their own and said, no, it's fine. Yeah, that's really interesting. I do wonder, though, sometimes if maybe...
1: You know, since it is a practice that in this uh, matriarchal society seems to, you know, have its roots in empowerment, that maybe there are some women that didn't have the best experiences, but in the interest of like being team players, maybe sugarcoated it a little bit. I I don't know. It's certainly a possibility.
3: Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility because, um, you know, you get that impression, especially from like the NGOs that have been set up to sort of try and fight this practice. That they're saying, you know, a lot of these women don't have a voice in, in speaking out against this, um, whether they don't have, you know, the reach or, the, or whatever they might need to sort of speak out against it, the, the opportunity, uh, the platform. They sort of pick and choose, you know, what you're hearing about it. So, right. It's interesting. There's actually this is almost a weird flip
1: side of the story uh, that I'm going to tell, or the uh, the tradition that I'm going to talk about. I'm I'm kind of glad you you led because this is sort of like two sides of this very strange coin, both striving for empowerment. I think one perhaps succeeding a little bit more. Right. uh, right. I don't (laughs) want. I don't want to spoil it quite (laughs) yet. Well, again, you know, this is
0: one of those things where. Uh, we have to realize that Bhutan is uh, very much, for the majority of the world, an inaccessible place. It's a the this is, if you if you're not familiar with the country, it is uh, mountainous. It is incredibly difficult to get to, partially historically due to geography, but nowadays also due to decisions of the government of the monarchy, uh, which I believe that if you want to travel to Bhutan as an outsider, uh, there are pretty exorbitant fees you pay per day. Tourists also cannot exceed like a certain quota per year. But in their in their favor, uh, Bhutan has the distinction of being the only country to rate its uh, overall success not on uh, gross domestic product or anything like that, but on gross national happiness, which is... Mm-hmm. Oh. Pretty difficult to quantify. It sounds like it could get confusing and also makes me wonder, you know, how does this process of night hunting fit into a modernizing country, right? Because it sounds like this is very old uh, as we see the prevalence of things like uh, cell phones, I think would be the number one, the number one next step, right? As we see the proliferation of those in rural areas how, how is that going to affect things? Like what happens when people start, uh, cause I get the sense. I'm just, I'm searching for an analogy. I get the sense when I hear people, some of the guys talk about this, they're talking about it. Like me and my buddies went out to the bar or we went out to the club. Oh yeah.
3: Did a, a little night hunting. You yeah. Right. Like, right. Like, like,
1: like, like, can't you phone ahead at this point? I think like you're getting <laughs> at that.
3: No, and it would even happen in groups. Uh, sometimes groups of guys will go out and one at a time break off and pick a house and pretty much just like that.
0: Ugh. Isn't that, is that not kind of terrifying though? Like, 100%. is this, that's what I'm trying to understand. Like, is this a, is there a demographic? Like, does this stop when you get married if you're female identified or is, is it like the purge? Basically. Right. <laughs> you have to lock your if based on your genitalia, do you have to lock yourself in at right. dusk? <laughs>
3: yeah. I don't know the answer to that directly, but I would I my thoughts are that it, you know, it, it probably stops when you're getting married, at least if you already have a man in your bed, <laughs> you know,
5: That's at least true. It They're might like get as oh, far as the
3: window.
1: Please a crowd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But at the same time, it feels like the practice does open because of, you know, if you lean into this as like, no, 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 I'm just doing the thing. You know, like uh, it really is just kind of like a
3: carte blanche invitation to, you know, uh, stalk people.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, There was a girl who was in college in a rural area and she had no idea this. She said she had heard of the practice, but didn't really know much about it or think that it was still happening. And one night she's, you know, in her room with her roommate and some guy comes up and starts banging on the window and says, hey, let me in. No, it's OK. This is a normal thing. And, uh, you know, spent quite a bit of time <laughs> oh, harassing you've her. you convinced me. Yeah, I know, right? right?
4: <laughs> uh, it's also a normal thing for me to say, no, sir, get out. Yeah. Like, that's part of it. Yep. So get out. <laughs> like, that's.
3: It's very based on coercion, right? I think yeah. that's one of the biggest problems here, too, is even if the guy gets in, then he's got to talk himself into the bed. Mm. Um, if he doesn't force himself, you know? So even if there's not a physical forcing, there's still a lot of coercion going on.
0: I'm wondering too, if there's like, I'm not aware of this, but if if there's a situation where someone travels uh, from outside the country to maybe do some NGO work or something, and then they find themselves accidentally sucked into this practice, you know what I mean? Is it? I, I guess it depends on how, common it is in the modern day but now that you explain it this way uh yeah i can see a lot of very angry dads and moms right you know right uh so if you're caught so it's vampire rules kind of right like uh okay so (laughs) let
4: the right one in
0: right oh no (laughs) if you're caught and if you're caught at dawn that's you're married
3: yeah, that doesn't always play, but that traditionally that's how it goes. So that's very strict in some villages.
0: So do you feel like this is is the um is the society normal would we normally consider them pretty conservative?
3: Um I suppose I didn't get that impression, but I think so. I think it 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 seems more traditional in their um you know, values of marriage and family uh Things like that pretty traditional
4: it seems odd to me that in a matriarchal society they would they would care so much about establishing paternity for mm. for citizenship right. or, or for right. i guess not for citizenship but for registering you and all that stuff like i wonder what that is i don't know i just was surprised by that
0: yeah yeah because uh, from what i'm understanding as a matriarchal society what we're saying there is that women are traditionally the head of the family and also call the shots, right? So if there are questions of of a household import, then it would typically be the mom or the oldest female relative, mm. I guess, that makes those decisions. So it, maybe it's a situation where you need to be especially like, uh, you know, if, if there are two kids who are like dating and trying
3: night hunting, they know each other right. already. Maybe it's the
0: mom that they're really
3: afraid of, right? Could be. Could be. I mean, I, I've definitely heard that the dads were the were the throw you out the window type. <laughs> uh, yeah, but they're caught. But they're more but the they're muscle, not the brains right? of the operation. Right, yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs>
4: they're the bouncer. Yeah. You got to get past the manager you have to get to the VIP <laughs> exactly, room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: I mean that's the way he came in might as well go uh, yeah. back out that way. <laughs> yeah, this is super interesting. Um and bizarre. So so it's it's it's, it's definitely fallen out of favor or it has it and this is, pockets this, of it? Yeah.
3: this is this sort of the uh you know the remaining argument is that uh more rural and older people are saying, you know, while well, the modern world of dating and western dating has crept into Bhutan, especially in the cities, and that's, you know, taking the love out of it like the like we used to have. You know the good old days you know, of breaking, breaking into entering. a window. <laughs> yeah, B and E. That's how. That's how you the, do the true romantic
4: love. practice of crawling into my bed in the middle of the night.
3: And it's become this, you know, kind of a, a, a mini cultural war because you've got again, urban folks saying this is outrageous if they've even heard of it. You're getting more and more young people who you know haven't will grow up their whole lives and never even heard of this practice, and more and more the ones who have are saying you know this is so primitive and dangerous and really calling out using it as a way to call out rural areas and that they're less cultured and less civilized. Yeah. And, backwards. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. and so those areas are saying, no, you're you know, this is a perfectly safe practice. We love it. Yeah. There's some, uh, you know, a couple of little weak links in the chain, but uh, <laughs> but they, they defend it and, you know, say that that's just an attack on their culture. Yeah, that's the thing that's tough about culture, and, and and you know these types of rituals that we're talking about,
1: right. especially the ones that are a little, you know, more problematic i mean yep. it's hard to criticize them especially as an outsider without coming off as just being some sort of like uh, ignorant uh yeah. mm-hmm. interloper um, yeah. even though like you know in terms of just like human rights and stuff this does seem pretty <laughs> right uh, pretty dangerous and problematic especially when it's taken advantage of and kind of run roughshod over in
3: terms of like the
1: maybe original intent you know yep mm-hmm.
3: yep mm-hmm. which is why i think you know we we uh Hopefully, those NGOs, those nonprofits that are growing in Bhutan, are are uh, you know working to find that right balance. Uh, I know they signed the CEDAW, the Convention of Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, in nineteen eighty, and oh, that's okay. sort of what started to uh, bring up the, this um, they said bomina like customs were a form of gender discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, that's that's had some work done locally,
0: right? That was going to be one of my other questions. So this, the reverse of this, doesn't happen. There are no young men who are sleeping, and then someone bang bangs into their house and is like, "Okay,
3: this, <laughs> hi, I'm I'm from earlier. I thought you were cute." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as far as I know, I've never heard of that happening. Okay, interesting. Yeah, you know. that's right. funny
4: too for a matriarchal society that that's still. You're dependent on the the man's interest in you and his right. his right. interest, you know, his willingness to kind of come come get you. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if, I don't know. I, I would yeah. I would assume that a matriarchal society would be like, eh. You, you're the come here.
1: <laughs> right. Let's well, talk. I guess there's there's certainly different shades of that, right? I mean, like different extremes and flavors of what a matriarchal society right. even sure. means. Like, I mean, I know a lot of very strong women uh, in my life. You know, for example, like my mother, who is also very, very old school. You know, like mm-hmm. she's yeah. like, oh, mm-hmm. the man has to come for the woman, and when, when young ladies should wear dresses. Like my kid kind of dresses like a weird punk rock goth, and my mom <laughs> uh, finds this very off putting, and she's always trying to. <laughs> dress her up in these little outfits as opposed to uh what i would think would be uh, looking at it as like oh it's so cool that she's like letting her freak flag fly and doing her thing and you know mm. owning her own image and her own uh you know kind of sense of self but yeah. that's not really how it goes and so i think sometimes there are things that run counter to that because of generational stuff i think and especially when you start getting into these uh you know um cultures that are have their own set of rules
0: norms mm-hmm, and taboos right. and also you know it's interesting i was doing some uh d- doing just a little bit of digging i see that women uh traditionally were able to practice polyandry uh and have mm. more than one husband typically brothers in these rural areas uh-huh. um the the definitely what i'm saying is it sounds like night hunting exists in a larger cultural context And the whole thing is starting to starting to change. Uh, And that's that's got to be a lot to experience, because I I think I don't know if it's still the case, but I think up until fairly recently, uh, people were required to wear like legally required to wear traditional dress in the country as well. Oh,
5: interesting. Yeah.
0: So also, I don't know how that affects. I mean, we're we're joking about it, but they're breaking into people's houses. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: It's outrageous. And, the, and the, the, the results are clear, too. You have women um, who've been interviewed who say, I won't even talk to men anymore. I've been abused many times. This one oh woman had uh, a man came in, um, you know, and they slept together. She got pregnant. They married. And then as soon as her first child was born, he disappeared. And then it happened to her again. A man came in Bomina style wooed her one night, and then he disappeared as soon as they found out she was pregnant. And so she has two children and says, you know, she was abused more than that, even, uh, you know, at times when she wasn't even as, uh, you know, didn't agree to it. Mm -hmm. And she says, I don't even talk to men anymore. And you're finding more and more women like that, too, who've been abused through this practice. And, uh, you know, it's really affected them and, and their whole lives. And it's affecting the culture of these towns, too. Well, Eli, thanks for uh, bringing this one to yeah. us.
1: Definitely something that uh, I wasn't aware of, and I think uh, probably <laughs> that's going to be the case for a lot of folks. And, and like I said, interesting kind of kindred uh, um, tradition to, to the one I'm going to talk about right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen introducing Uber
5: teen accounts,
1: an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly
0: rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination.
0: that's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides, valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See App for details.
1: Add your teen to your account today, available in select locations. See App for details.
5: Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dallas Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living. Assisted living and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events, chef prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort style amenities, and high quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile.
0: After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, It's this, there's always a catch.
1: So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch?
0: So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense.
1: There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online. And by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous.
0: That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous.
1: Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Okay, and we're back with the proactive coming back from an ad. Max, how are you liking this? Are you gonna make us do this from now on?
3: Oh, please do
1: this. It's like- no, uh, no deal. <laughs> no, we stop refuse. breaking our no. traditions, Max. It's a tradition. Thank you. Tradition <laughs> I Remember that uh, what is that? Filler on the roof? No, it's Traditions are it's a big they're a big deal. I mean, we have plenty that, you know, folks from outside of America would probably think are odd. Like,
5: mm-hmm.
1: you know, flying an American flag on for I don't know what what's the what's, what's a weird armadillos? Um, That's not paying, a thing. Blood for health sacrifice cares? Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Let's 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 get to it. It hurts. Yeah, I can't laugh there. too hard. I can't laugh too hard. I'll hurt myself.
1: Um, and today seems to have kind of accidentally been about you know, traditions that attempt to empower women. I would argue, Eli, that yours is maybe a little bit misguided and uh, doesn't really succeed in doing that. And I'm not saying that I'm like coming in and being like Mr. Woke guy or whatever, but this one (laughs) that I'm bringing, I kind of think does succeed. And uh, Marie Claire would agree. So Marie Claire. We've been doing a lot for them recently. No, it's true. (laughs) But what we're talking about today is uh, something in Cambodia. Um, I couldn't find a, a pronunciation it's it's k-r-e-u-n-g i think i'm gonna call it krang or krong uh krong. um an ethnic minority group called the Krung, living in cambodia have for generations um been practicing this thing uh called the love hut it's the little old place where we can get together um it really is what it is is an out a building built outside of the home where young women are able to Entertain gentlemen callers us uh, on their own terms. There's also a really good article on Vice about this practice by Aisha Down. And Down um, actually goes to uh, Cambodia where this is still being practiced today. Um, and essentially, what it does is it allows women, you know, adolescent women coming into, you know, adulthood um, to kind of try out partners, you know? I mean, date essentially there you go. swing okay. even. All right. i mean it wow. really is it's about the sex uh, that's 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 certainly part of it it's about to, it's about finding out whether you and a potential mate are sexually and intellectually compatible um essentially you know you have this little hut that's out behind the main house and it's like the the young woman's room that's where she lives and she hangs out and she's able to kind of make it her own and um entertain Boys, you know, um, quite quite a few before she ultimately decides which one to marry.
0: I don't want to sound too old fashioned here and old, but. What's the age range we're talking about?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question, man. It is, it's a little, it's a little odd. Uh, it's about 13 to 15. So like I, I said, literally at the beginning of, of puberty. Um, and, you know, as a father of a 12-year-old uh, girl, this, you know, certainly that age range strikes me a little odd. But mm-hmm. again, it, it it does ultimately uh, lead to uh, th- this, this notion of sex as not being some sort of tool of a patriarchy to kind of, you know, or, or like a, literally just a tool for procreation. It's all about procreation. It's uh, not vilified either. It's not vilified. I'm sorry. Thank you, Ben. I'm totally stammering to, to try to get that out. That's exactly right. It's normalized, um, the mm. idea of sex. Um The idea of partnership being something that requires like compatibility in terms of like people's ability to even have conversations um in the 2011 Marie Claire piece that I mentioned Fiona uh, McGregor actually goes and visits the the Krung tribe uh and hangs out with several uh, young women to talk about their their sex life and and what this hut is all about and the quotes that you hear from these women are just so self-possessed like in terms of like they just own it they own themselves <laughs> yeah. And they don't really think of it as like unusual at all because it's something that they that's been passed down to them for generations, and uh, it's just like what you do. the The father, when the the young woman begins to reach uh, puberty, builds this hut out back, and then she moves out there. So it's almost like it's giving agency not only over like independence in terms of like living outside of the home, but it really puts you know the impetus of uh, of all of these things directly on the woman, and consequently, like there's like no rape in uh in this culture in in the Cron culture at all like like practically zero sexual violence incredibly rare rape is apparently non-existent according to the Marie wow. Claire story um and speaking to one of the uh elders i suppose or one of the parents of of one of the women who uh, Fiona McGregor interviews um they say we don't worry about female purity uh who knows what a girl does when she goes to another village anyway <laughs> I mean I love it we're just so used to in the United States which we consider ourselves to be so like you know um, I guess forward thinking and like you know progressive in terms of so many things uh, so still so much weird puritanical kind of like attitude towards sex here. It's sort of either like the extreme kind of like flagrant, you know, just like over sex kind of attitude like in terms of like what we see in in, in TV and film and, and advertisement and stuff. And then you have like this extreme polar opposite, which is like a very kind of devout notion of like women need to get married and like get a husband and, you know, be a housewife and all that. I think there is still some of that attitude. It's certainly changed and Mm -hmm. progressed over the years, but I just think it's so interesting that these folks who are literally living, you know, in nature i mean they really are living in like their actual huts uh that they live in are made of bamboo and they have to rebuild them like every year or so because Uh like you know the weather can get insane there so it really is like they're living directly you know with nature and then they build these uh these other huts out back so i don't know you guys i'd I'd love to hear your thoughts um diana especially like i mean how (laughs) does i mean you know you being like a woman and all uh, how does this strike (laughs) you i mean i think it's really fascinating and it's such a interesting you know, thing to read about, especially we'll get to the kind of status of it and, you know, the future of it now. But mm-hmm. um, it is still kind of a thing.
4: Yeah, I I think it's really interesting. It was funny that you said puritanical because, you know, I did all those Puritan courtship things. And part of bundling was that you expected to have some sexual contact. You just weren't Ooh. meant to get pregnant. Right. And Hand then yeah. and then the idea came around that women were very pure and asexual and didn't have any sexual a desire at all like that was the the ideal woman and that's when bundling kind of stopped happening um so it's just interesting to me that they're like no women like sex they're, right. they like it and it's a part of life and it's a part Ooh. of marriage and of course you should of course you should try on some pants and see what fits <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. why not so i just think that's really a very enlightened uh way of thinking about it i also
0: it. like the way that uh the the situation has been described. Whenever you hear stories like this, uh, if you're in the West, you have to be very careful to corroborate sources and make sure you're not getting mm. some unfairly exoticized or, as you said earlier, Eli, othered kind of accounts. But right. even with that, um, in some of the articles I read, I, I really, I, I like the way they painted the scene. The guys aren't just busting into these huts, to be clear. Like, they kick <laughs> it on the stoop uh, mm. and, they, and they play some music. You know, and, and, you know, they do like their, their wonder wall. Or whatever they're they hold up
4: the the the, box yeah 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 play Peter Gabriel Um,
0: for some reason in my head you know I don't know what pop music is popular there now but I want it to be something like really specific it would Mm -hmm. be hilarious if it was Smash Mouth's All Star and it was like just a very slow acoustic version and then you know (laughs) and she's like
4: yeah we could all use a little change (laughs) (laughs) so get out
0: so the uh, the thing is apparently if like you said, no, the consent is key. So if the, um, I'm going to say child. If they're 13, if the child is not interested, then uh, they they just uh, politely talk for a little while, and then the the boy moves on. So there's no like there's no entrance into this thing without the consent. Of the of the person living in the maiden hut, which I think is great.
3: Well, I like the way you uh, describe that, Ben. It's it's it reminds me of Noel, you saying that it goes kind of back to nature. And, you know, it sort of feels like these more um, uh, animal like rituals of of having to woo the male has to come over and show his fancy feathers Mm -hmm. uh, in order to get the female interested. And that that's. I kind of like that idea.
4: Yeah, me too. Where's my (laughs) fancy feathers? (laughs) Oh,
3: you dig it a hole, Eli.
1: It also just kind of goes to show how so many of these ideas are like constructs of that we kind of build for ourselves. Right. Um, And unfortunately, even the Krung people uh, are not uh, completely oblivious to that, are completely not you know, affected by these things, because these practices have kind of started to wane a little bit, and that's largely because, so, okay, a big part of it was the functionality of it. Very much like your story, Diana, where the Puritans lived in these tiny, you know, single, common area homes, uh, that's the same with the the Krung people. Um, they have these, like I said, very rudimentary kind of bamboo huts, so it was like, kind of like, it made sense that when, you know, a girl reached uh, the certain age to move her out because they wanted the space and also they didn't mm. they didn't have a, a, a wooing tube or whatever it's called um and they <laughs> uh and bundling wasn't exactly a thing but but this is not that different. I mean, you're like, mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that it was sort of the leadership of the church that walked back bundling and, yeah. and, and sort of took that agency away from from women that was already there. Uh, and what's happening here is as, you know, technology kind of reaches these areas. Again, this article was from 2011. A lot of lots happened since then in terms of just like the exponential yeah. availability of of technology and just like, you know, the affordability as well. And even like, you know, things like access to the internet, like even in like Mm -hmm. these really, really remote areas. So what's happening is uh, there's also more wealth, kind of pouring into some of these more rural yes. you know, areas, mm, which right. Different, building materials, right? different building materials. Yeah. So instead mm. of using bamboo and these kind of temporary structures and having this reason to kind of keep this tradition going, now they're building their homes out of brick and concrete and such, and they want all of their rooms to be contained within the one house, so it doesn't make sense to build it. And then the tradition of it all kind of falls apart at that point, right? Right. And it just seems like this is something that is maybe going to disappear. And that's actually what the article uh, on Vice is about. It's called The Struggle to Save Teen Love Huts in Cambodia. They're also referred to as Maiden Huts. But the thing is, all of the stories that I've read about the relationships that these led to, they last lifetime. I mean, like there's like very little divorce as well. And like, you know, because you have a chance Mm -hmm. to actually get to know your partner, both sexually and, uh, you know, in terms of like, hey, I like to hang out with you because you're, Mm -hmm. you know, we actually have things in common. And honestly, it's the conversation that sort of starts the whole thing. And if a woman is, decides like, oh, this dude's dull, like she can just kick him right on out. Or sometimes they'll just snuggle and sleep in the same room. But there won't be maybe, you know, maybe some, some hand stuff, all of the Puritans. But that's it. <laughs> and then there's no hard feelings, right? Yeah. And there's yeah. no concept of jealousy there. Again, like we said, sexual violence and rape are very, 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 very uh, rare. Um, but just the idea of jealousy is like not a thing. You kind of just accept it and move on. And it's all all because of what the, the woman wants. And
0: I don't know, I think it's great. This episode of Ridiculous History is
1: brought to you by Uber Teen introducing Uber teen accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important
0: stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination.
0: that's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details.
1: Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details.
5: Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dallas Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living.
0: One thing that that feels important to mention here is that this is This is a practice in the highlands, right? This is a specific community, a specific people, so it's not Cambodia overall. No, no, it's
1: specifically in an area or a village called Krola um, Mm -hmm. in an area called Rattan Akiri in Cambodia. It's, like I said, very much, you know, in deep wooded kind of areas.
0: And Cambodia itself, we know, is... uh, incredibly conservative when it comes to ideas of things like divorce. I think uh, I think their divorce rate was like back, this is an old stat, but back in the late 90s, their divorce rate was 2.4%, at least their official would, because it would be wow. a costly process. So it, I, I'm saying that if, there, if the culture is like the culture in the rest of Cambodia, uh, divorce is supposed to be an extremely shameful affair. So Mm -hmm. just to point out, it may be possible that there are people stuck in unhappy marriages. But to be fair, that happens in the United States where uh, divorce is much easier. So. Oh, yeah.
4: I was about to ask if you knew if they did kind of what we did when we couldn't divorce, which was the guy would kind of go off and do whatever. And the lady would like have like a guy just hang out with her. Like, no, we're not married. We're not married. We just <laughs> live together for years.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's not quibble over semantics <laughs> hey, Yeah.
4: Like, I wonder roommate. if they have anything Thought like that. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, so, laughs> We just have a kid together, but it's no big deal. <laughs> you know,
1: yeah, no, I don't know specifically how they handle divorce or the, how they handle, you know, separation like that. but um mm-hmm. it is it is kind of sad that these uh, maiden huts or love huts really are much, much, much more rare these days. Um, there certainly are pockets where it still goes on, um but it is just becoming increasingly more unusual. Uh, and it's the, the uh, vice article actually interviews uh, a a cha Bai, um who was fifteen in the early sixties. So that's when this was kind of maybe at its peak. And that's, she describes kind of her experience uh, back when she was young and how different
3: things are now. So um, mm-hmm. really, really interesting. Sounds mm-hmm. like the, the, it's the original she shed. Um, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> it gives me two questions, I guess. Um, one, are these girls permitted to, is this a voluntary thing? Or if girls are just like, I don't want, I don't want a love shack. I don't want to build <laughs> one. Is that something? And then also, it seems, uh, it, you know, it's very heterosexually driven. Sure. Uh, I don't know if that ever comes up. Yeah, no,
1: nothing that I've seen. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, conjecture, but I right. wouldn't be surprised given the kind of uh, progressive nature of, of this whole practice, if even things like um, same-sex, you know, relationships were a little more. Uh, a little less frowned upon, but again, I haven't really seen anything about that specifically. But as far as like, you know, are they forced to do this? I honestly think it's just always kind of looked at as a privilege and it is, it was so ingrained kind of in the culture and it gives you so much control. And, you know, it it is, it is ultimately about getting married. Like, I mean, I think you're, you're right. I get what you're saying. You like, like, what if I don't want to get married? What if I just want to be single? And that's not something that's important to me. I think that part of it is, A little arm twisty, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, so there is still some, you know, forcing young women to fit into a certain
3: mold, but Mm. at least
1: it's on their own terms.
3: I'm seeing the Disney Pixar princess who doesn't want to do the love shack thing, Uh and you know, goes on a journey instead. Or
0: doesn't want to leave. Uh, I think you
3: Um, can stay until your 20s. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, I was about
4: to ask, <laughs> do they get that. married yeah. really early? Because I know yes. you said it was like 12 to 15. Is that when they start?
1: Yeah, it's, it's unclear as to if there's like a clock on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, okay. <laughs> um, but it's as far as like how long do you have to to make your decision? Like are people like really breathing down your neck about it, your, you know, your parents? I kind of get the sense that they are to a degree. Um, okay. But again, today, uh, according to this Vice article, women are, or young girls rather are often married by the time they're twelve. Oh, or oh, 13, wow. So it does. He has a
4: bit of a late bloomer. Yeah. So I feel like if I, you know, I don't I wasn't really interested in boys no. or anything like that until I was until I was at least 16. Uh, you know, I didn't yeah. really care about that. So I was like, I would be like, damn, I missed my chance for my love hut. Exactly. <laughs> so I just
2: no, gotta
0: pick a, one. That's uh, a good <laughs> point. Was, uh the uh Chabai mentioned earlier, uh said that people would stay in there up until they were twenty-five. Oh,
5: okay, so, mm. so it
0: seems like it goes um while the beginning may hinge on, you know, signs of puberty or something like that. It looks like the maiden in the maiden hut has a lot of latitude and agency to decide when they're done or when they find their partner. But again, there are a lot of, you know, in in these communities, there may be a lot of other pressures that we're not aware of that might push someone into a marriage
1: of some sort.
3: Well, and what about birth control? Are there a lot of teen pregnancies? What about some? Birth control? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, it's it's definitely a thing. Uh, there are yeah. unplanned pregnancies, but you know, again, talking or reading interviews with some of these these young women, they understand safe sex, um, yeah, okay. and they practice it. Uh, right. If there ever is an unplanned pregnancy, um, it is you know, a situation where the man has to provide for that child. Yeah. Um, mm. so, so
4: even if they don't get married, he still correct. has responsibility mm-hmm. for yep. Okay, that's Very cool.
1: much so. I don't think it instantly means they have to get married either. According to this Marie Claire article, typically if this happens, they will get married. But uh, at the end of the day, if if the girl does not choose him, the man still has to, you know, provide for the child and raise the child as his own. All
4: right.
1: Mm. So there you have it. Um, two very different but kind of weirdly spiritually entwined kind of stories <laughs> of yeah. courtship. Yeah, I like that we went yeah. around the world
0: in this series. Uh, and yeah. and there's something else that happened. Uh, we mentioned in part one, uh, I, I think I had noted that we're barely scratching the surface because we found so many other odd Things right, and Mm -hmm. and of course, we have to be aware of cultural bias. The United States is full of very strange courtship rituals. His future historians are going to look back like, What the hell were they doing? You know, and (laughs) uh, and so I I personally can't wait to hear uh, more people's stories of unique courtship customs. Uh, But I also can't wait to hear more ridiculous romance. Uh, Diana, Eli, thank you both so much for joining us for part two. Uh, Can you give us a, give the ridiculous historians a little bit of a spoiler for some episodes you guys are working on?
3: Oh yeah. We got Mm -hmm. a great, this whole week coming up now uh, we're going to be looking at two very powerful couples who uh, the, the women of which uh, wives of rulers who had an incredible influence on uh, on those rules. So we're talking about Winston Clementine Churchill mm-hmm. uh, and particularly Clementine's influence on World War II, which is really only uncovered in the last few years. And it's outrageous. We, we, we would all be speaking German today if it weren't for if Clementine it, Churchill, quite yes, likely. absolutely. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
4: And then we also went to ancient Egypt in BC times to hear about Amenhotep III and his powerful Queen Ta. And she was, uh, it's a lot lot harder to find out what exactly, you know, specifically was going on in the Mm -hmm. day-to-day of ancient Mm -hmm. Egypt. But uh, it's very clear that she definitely had a lot of influence in foreign uh, relations and stuff during that time. So
0: so she's also the reason this podcast is not in German.
4: Thankfully, yeah. f- thanks for Queen T.A. for keeping us all from speaking German today.
0: <laughs> so that was her number
3: one concern. That was uh, Yeah, she was
4: very worried about it. We do get
3: sucked into a lot of butterfly effect conversations sometimes oh, yeah. thinking about if these two hadn't met in, you know, 1300 B.C., what would be different now we we wouldn't we wouldn't have vending machines or something
4: yeah <laughs> <Right>.
3: <laughs> it would be it would be something very
0: i, I love those uh, conversations because the further back in time you go the smaller and stranger and yeah. more specific <laughs> the thing can become you know Definitely. like, like Definitely. crocs if you think about it <laughs> Genghis khan <laughs> <York. Yeah. laughs> just think about it, don't say no yet think it through uh the this has been such a blast. Uh, mm-hmm. I cannot wait to hear those episodes of ridiculous romance. Uh, they do come out twice a week. And uh, Noel, I thought we did. I thought we did all right on this one. What do you think, man?
1: I think we did. Uh, we had two solid uh, episodes out of it too. And um, like you said, been kind of a tour around the world. Uh, we got to do this again, you guys. This is mm. Super it fun. Is. Oh, it's I, such a blast. I, I, I certainly learned uh, a lot, and I will definitely uh, sound a little smarter at the next party I go to, which uh, <laughs> I think we're, we're going to be going to together. I think we're all going yeah. to a podcast conference thing in Nashville. Uh, the Yay. whole Ridiculous crew. Really excited about that. Very excited for oh, that.
4: I can't wait. Yeah.
3: And we hope to have you guys on our show soon, too.
4: Yeah, that's yes. so fun.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. Well, thanks again to Eli and Diana from Ridiculous Romance. You can find
1: that show everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Huge thanks to super producers, Casey Begram, super producer Max Williams, Alex Williams, uh, who composed our theme. Big, big thanks to Christopher Haciotis, to our research associate, Gabe
0: Luzier, and to, of course, we we will say his name this time because we haven't met our Beetlejuice rule yet. But thanks to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. uh, I imagine that he has a few uh, weird courtship uh, rituals of his own as stories, as anecdotes. I'm not (laughs) accusing the guy of anything.
1: We'll see you next time, folks.